Mark Scandrett's in the house. So, uh, me and my family moved to the Bay Area uh, just over six years ago. And um, I learned of Mark Scandrett before I moved here. Uh, he had, it was just over six years ago, you published Practicing the Way of Jesus, probably, give or take. And I read this book and I was like, this is the most practical book I've ever read in my life. Uh, and so I made it a point to get to know Mark when I moved out here because he and his wife Lisa uh, live in San Francisco and they raised their three children in the city. And uh, so he was one of the first people I met uh, after moving here and uh, we've stayed connected over the years and I'm just absolutely thrilled to have him here. Most recently he and Lisa have uh, published a book together called Belonging and Becoming. What's the subtitle? creating a thriving family culture. Isn't that fantastic? Uh, so uh, if you have a family, you might like that book. Uh, Jenna and I uh, had the privilege to get to read it before it was published, and it's absolutely fantastic. So uh, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Scandrett. Um, I also want to mention, uh, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, that Mark and Lisa are sticking around after the service. Uh, if you want to run out quickly and grab lunch, or if you brought a lunch, great. Uh, we're going to do lunch here together uh, at noon, and um, Mark is going to lead us uh, in a workshop after the service at noon for a couple of hours. And also, uh, Mark and Lisa brought books, um, and so if you're interested in some of the work they're doing and purchasing all of their books. Uh, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. There you go. Uh, let me pray for you. Yeah. God, thank you so much for Mark. Thank you for his willingness to be here and lead us this morning. God, I pray that you would speak through him by your spirit and that you would give each of us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand that we might turn and experience more of your healing presence in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, good morning. morning. Wow, I feel welcome. It's really, it's really great to be here this morning. Um, Want to show you a quick picture of our family. Uh, we, we really realized we go way back with um, Bay Marin. Uh, a couple of people that I st started our organization with uh, were part of this church, Dieter Zander and Rod Washington, and, um, and I've been fortunate to be here a few times over the years. Uh, Lisa and I have three young adult kids, a daughter Haley who's 23, a son Noah who's 22, and our youngest Isaiah, who we call Spanky, just turned 21 yesterday. So we spent the day together kind of having meals and um, playing cards and you know, having a good time together being, being family. Um, about 18 years ago or so, Lisa and I, along with the people I mentioned, started an organization in San Francisco called Reimagine. And we call ourselves a Center for Integral Christian Practice, or another way of saying that that's a little less fancy, is we try and help one another apply the teachings of Christ to everyday life. And so we've created a few resources uh, to go along with that, um, the books that Matt already mentioned, um, and then a new book that Lisa and I wrote together that we're super excited about, about family life called Belonging and Becoming. And what I hope to do in the 30 minutes this morning is to um, try and invite you into a, a way of looking at the scripture for the day that helps us to move towards practice. 
So I'm wondering if you might be game to, to be like kind of in an experiment with me where we, we try this out, which means I'm going to try and subvert some of the normal things about when the speaker gets up and talks and you guys do your job and just listen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to have you maybe talk, turn and talk to each other and it's, uh, maybe at a certain point stand up and move around just a little bit. Would you be open to trying to mix things up a little bit? Thumbs up? Awesome. Great. Um, I only heard the expert. Yeah. What, what if they'd said no? I'd be totally screwed up here. <laughs> so... Um, so today's text, you see when I do this, that means, yeah, um, is that we're also trying to do this where she's doing the slides and I'm looking at slides up here. So um, today's text is about Jesus' interaction with this um, centurion soldier. And so first I'd like to read the text and then let's explore it a little bit together. Um, and so it goes like this. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, should I come heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we have a short little story with a lot going on. And I want to try and, uh, I want to try and take, uh, um, take a minute to sort of open it up a little bit with you. The first thing that's helpful to know is that this centurion was an outsider to the people of Israel. And he knew it, and they knew it, and I'm guessing that most of the people who were with Jesus were wondering, how is he going to interact with this guy? Uh, first of all, um, he, he doesn't share their faith practice. He doesn't share their religion. He's not of their culture. And even worse than that, he's part of the group that's oppressing the Jews. They have taken over uh, uh, that area, and they've put uh, puppet leaders in charge of the, of the state at that time. And so he's, he would probably be seen as a very powerful person and very offensive to them in the ways that he in the ways that he lives. So how's Jesus gonna interact with them? He definitely saw himself as an outsider. Um, he owns slaves, and in addition to that, um, probably some of the people who are listening to Jesus are going, this guy doesn't live a good life. Like, he, like what does he do with those slaves? And we know from that, that time period, what, often uh, what, what a, a Roman citizen would do with their slaves is they could treat them like property, treat them like sexual objects, uh, treat them as things. And, um, but but he, this centurion has uh, some kind of special relationship with his with his slave, 
and comes out of this deep longing to have this, um, this slave healed because he cares for him so deeply. So I think the first question that's helpful for me to ask about this passage is um, if the people who were listening to Jesus had this tendency to put, um, put the, the centurion soldier on the other side of us and them, who do I tend to put on the other side of us and them? I think about a couple of things. I've lived in lots of different parts of the country. I have a special place in my heart for the Midwest of the United States because I lived there for a while, and I think that's why I, have, I feel a little bit of natural affection for Matt because we, 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 were, we come from kind of the same space. I graduated from high school in Alabama, and so I have a little bit of affection for that part of the country. Don't really understand the East Coast quite as much. I didn't spend any time there. Um, and then, wow, California became home 20 years ago. And then, I start, and then you start thinking about, um, at least I do, distinctiveness inside of places. Like people will, if I travel, people say, um, oh, you're from Cali. And I'm like, well, first of all, we don't say Cali. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I'm not just from California, I am from the Bay Area, like Northern California, and not just Northern California, but, the, but the, there's, there's a few places in the Bay Area, Marin is one of them for me, that I consider part of my world and like my headspace. But if you start heading towards uh, Tracy or down to even, even San Jose for me, you're getting into other space. Okay, I see some giggles. You guys know what I'm talking about. Like, we're like, I get these people. I don't quite relate as much to these people. Then, um, even deeper than this, I live in San Francisco, which, of course, I have to be pretentiously proud of. And... Um, and it's not, it's not even just San Francisco, it's certain neighborhoods that I feel like are, are us and the other neighborhoods are them. So I live in the Mission District, so us is like the Mission, the Castro, Bernal Heights, Potrero Hill. Them is like Pacific Heights, the Sunset, the Richmond District. These are people who are farther away from me, culturally and socioeconomically. Do you guys get what I'm talking about, this, this mentality? Um, so it's not just about place, but it's also about uh, race and culture, that I feel like there's some people who are like me and some people who are not like me. It goes deeper, and it's also about um, education and socioeconomics, that I tend to see some people as, ab as above me socioeconomically and some people below me socioeconomically, and I make distinctions between us and them about people of, of different social classes. And then about religion. Um, I identify as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and, um, and uh, there's other people that I brush shoulders with every day who are, um, would be, consider themselves agnostic or atheist or uh, Buddhist or, um, or Muslim or, or Jewish. And even within Christianity, um, I've got all these distinctions, like, what kind of Christian, like, like um, you know, I'm Protestant, not Catholic, and then there's certain traditions that I came through that I identify with more closely than, than others. And even some groups that I've been a part of where I feel like as I've gotten older, I feel less connection to than others. Can anybody identify with this tendency that I seem to have between us and them? Um, I was. I, I, I think. It, I think in this story, Jesus is getting at something that's really.
core to our sense of self. And that is we tend to do this sort of us and them thing. I, I gotta tell you a funny little story about this. I was standing in line at Ritual Roasters in, in the, the mission not long ago, and I was with a friend, and he looked around as we were waiting in line, and he said, look at all of these hipsters in here. And he didn't mean it as a compliment. He, me he meant, I'm not like these, these people over here. And um, I looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? He said, all these people with their like cool skinny jeans and their Apple laptops and, and all that stuff. And, and I looked at him and I looked at them and I said, um, I don't see any difference between you and everybody else in this cafe. Help me, help me understand. So obviously inside, he felt different than the people in that cafe. Okay, here's, here's your time where you're gonna do a little bit of participation. I'd like you to turn to someone near you, and if you're sitting way far alone, you're gonna have to scooch over um, to answer this question. Um, who do you tend to put on the other side of us and them? What are the ways that you do that? I've told you a bunch of ways I do that. What are some examples for you about that? Who's us? The, you can interpret the question however you want. All right. Let's go ahead and come back together. It sounds like you guys had some interesting observations about this, this, ten, this tendency we have towards us and them thinking. And this, this story that Jesus is telling is, is really about this. So I think it's our natural tendency to wanna to divide the world in some ways. Part of it is uh, part of our development. We're trying to figure out who we are and, and so who's like me, who's different than me. Some of this is pretty relative though. I don't know, um, I don't know if you've had experiences where you travel and you start identifying with people much, like, like it, it all depends on where you're at. Sometimes when Lisa and I are traveling, if we meet somebody else who speaks English, wow, we have a lot in common, right? <laughs> Or when we first moved to San Francisco, most people we met didn't, didn't believe in the existence of a divine being. So if, we've met, if we met anybody who believed in, in one God, wow, we felt like we had so much in common with them. Um, so, um, so I think it's helpful to ask, if, um, why is it that we have this tendency towards us and them thinking? And I should say, I think along with that, that tendency is, and it definitely was for the Jews that um, were, that were tracking with Jesus, is the us is better than the them. People like me are in a better place than people who are not like me. And so that's how they tended to see somebody like the centurion. We're the ones who know what's true. We follow the, the right way with our religion. And you, on the other side, are less than where we're at. And so it's, it's sometimes a way of elevating, uh, like it's, it's a natural tendency to want to be like, people who are like me are superior to people who are not like me. And so with the story, Jesus really puts a twist on that. So why do, why do we have this tendency? I want to suggest a couple of things. Um, a, uh, a, a social identity theorist named Henri Tajfel, who was a survivor of the German concentration camps, spent his uh, life studying the, these phenomenons. And he suggests, which probably goes along with common sense, and you've thought of this too, 
that we tend to get into us and them thinking because we're trying to create our sense of identity. We're asking the question, who am I? And um, that we want to we want to build a sense of self, and so our tendency is to say, "I'm like this, I'm not like this," and that helps us to know who we are. He also suggested that we're looking to feel good about ourselves. I want to I want to see myself as part of the, the the right group. I think it might be helpful to ask, "What is it? What's the reality that Jesus knew about these things?" And um, when I look at the life of Christ and the teachings of Jesus, I see all these examples of times when he inserts an instruction or he interacts with people in a way that helps us know what he believed to be true about the, the way life actually works and works best. And I want to suggest one thing that Jesus knew is that our truest identity is that we are beloved and made in the image of God. And that if we want to have a real secure sense of self, then we don't, we don't build that based on difference with other people. We base it on the deepest thing, the truest thing about us, about what scripture reveals about who we are, made in the image of God, called beloved. And I want to suggest to you that as I or you work to really establish our sense of self, in that deepest and truest place is who we are made in the image of God, we will become less likely to divide the world into us and them. We'll be less defensive about those things. Um, I think another thing that Jesus is getting at with his interaction with the centurion is that the heart matters more than pretense or position. Uh, you see those tr Jewish travelers uh, around Jesus, and they are, they are tending to think, we're, we're the ones who have a privileged position with God. And then suddenly comes along this person who's an outsider, but who comes sharing their, their deepest longing with Jesus. And, at the, and Jesus goes out of his way in this passage to say, oh my goodness, look at the faith of this centurion. It, he's got more faith than anybody in Israel that I've met. And then he goes on to say, people who've thought of themselves as close to God as part of the kingdom actually aren't. And I think what this reveals to some extent is our tendency to evaluate things based on appearance. And we know from scripture that um, uh, like with David and, and Saul, uh, God says, I don't, I don't judge like a person judges, not just looking on the outside, I see the heart. And Jesus, it seemed like, with that centurion, saw his earnest heart of faith and longing, even though he was in the, in the wrong group, not part of the, right, not, not, not part of the in group. I wanna suggest to you that we go farther in our spiritual lives when we see ourselves as beginners rather than as experts. Um, and there's multiple times in the Gospels Jesus emphasizes this where he says, don't call yourselves teachers. Um, don't call yourself a rabbi. Um, you, you have one teacher and rabbi. Or other places where he says, to enter the kingdom, you need to become like a child. And when I, ha when I think of myself as an expert, the one who knows things, then, um, then God has nothing to teach me. 
I'm, 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 um, I've closed myself off when I have to keep that identity as someone who knows. And it's often suggested that um, people who really are experts are simply curious and they, and they continue to operate with that wide-eyed wonder. And it seems like with, um, with Jesus' interaction with the, um, the, the Israelites in this passage, he's trying to help them see, hey, a, it's a better posture for you is to be curious and open rather than thinking, we got this nailed down and we're the ones who are on the inside. In fact, Paul echoes this where in 1 Corinthians he says, those who think they know something do not know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So there's something deeper than me thinking I know things. What's probably more important is that God knows me. Uh, in another place, Jesus says, um, echoes the same, the same message of this passage. Um, he tells a parable about two brothers. And he said, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you that the tax collectors, the prostitutes, are entering the kingdom ahead of you. So there's um, what this passage suggests that echoes the story of the centurion. Is it's possible for us to feel like we're on the inside, but because we know it, we, we know it all, and we, we are, we're dividing the world into us and them, that we're actually not encountering or experiencing the depths of the reality of the kingdom of God in a way that maybe someone who doesn't think of themselves in that way does. So I want to suggest this to you. Your posture is more important than your position. Direction ultimately matters more than distance. I might be somebody who, um, in my journey, I'm, cl- I'm close to the kingdom of God. But if my heart is turned away, I'm, I'm headed away from what's most real and true. And there might be a person that I might consider to be a long ways from what's tr- true and what's good. But if their heart posture is towards the reality of their creator, then they're moving, they're moving forward while I'm moving away. Does that make sense? And that's not something I can see. I can only see it for myself. And so the point of Jesus telling this, the, the, uh, uh, making, a, making a deal about this centurion inter- interaction, I believe is to help his, his Jewish listeners um, take a moment and go, what is, where is my heart? What do I long for? Do I want to sincerely walk towards the way of Jesus. Um, One thing I'm fascinated by is that the centurion didn't let difference get in the way of his curiosity. He was an important person in his social situation, but he was desperate for some help. And so he he crosses a bunch of boundaries to get to Jesus. And um, I think that it might be helpful for us as a practice to say, what if I took a break for seven days from the regular ways that I classify people in terms of us and them? Just to see how often I do that 
And so I'm going to invite you to, con to consider taking on a promise this week. Um, first, let's notice what happens when I share, share what it will be, what comes up for you. And then I'll ask you to consider um, joining me in it. What if we said this week, this week I will practice open speech. I promise to avoid us and them language. I won't label people by their race, class, culture, religion, or political preference. What might be different this week if we, if we took a pause on those things for seven days? How would we have to find new ways to talk about people with less categories? What might it do to our, our heart and being open to others? So, did anybody willing to try this with me this week? to say, I, just for a week, I'll experiment with this, practicing this open speech where I don't divide in terms of us and them. If you're open to it, uh, would you give me a thumbs up to say, I'll, I'll, try, it. I'll try it with you this week, Mark, and see, see what it's like. Um, you might have to bite your tongue a few times, <laughs> okay? What I'm, and just to clarify, just to help, help you with this, it doesn't mean there aren't differences between people. The, the differences are real, right? But the question is, will we continue to, to make those differences barriers to connecting or being curious? And I'm suggesting it could be helpful for us to take a break from that for a few days. All right, let's, let's try it. Next Sunday, you can ask people, what was that like you know, to, to not speak in those divides? So a second thing, a practice I think we can take from this is to think of yourself for a bit this week as an outsider and say, maybe that's an okay, okay place to be. Like an outsider is sometimes more open and more curious, but a bit like Curious George here. Um, and um, see what you can learn by taking on that position. I, I want to show you a picture of a friend of mine. His name is Shinko Rick Sloan. And after my first book came out, he contacted me. And he said, I'm a Zen Buddhist priest. I live at Green Gulch Monastery. And he said, um, I've got some curiosity about, about Jesus, and I don't know who else to talk to about it. Would you be willing to get together with me? And I'm like, sure, of course. So I had him come over, and he was real nervous to come into my house. He had his robes on and his beads, and, um, and uh, we, we kind of had a stilted conversation the first time we got together. And um, over the next few months, I got invited to go and speak with him at like interfaith things where I represented the Christianity and he represented Buddhism and there was somebody else that would represent Hinduism or Islam. And often lots of our conversations were about me being the Christian and him being the Buddhist. Like we had to represent, I had to represent a billion people and a whole <laughs> belief system. And we didn't get very far. It was like that posture of like, like here I, you know, it, it, didn't, it didn't help us move forward. And eventually I just thought, I, can, I need to relax and I need, be, I need to be real with this guy. And I found out we had a lot more in common than I expected. In fact, we'd start talking about the gospels and he knew, um, he knew the gospels better than me. And he would sometimes come to our gatherings uh, of my faith community and be like, when, okay, you guys, when are we going to do the Jesus stuff? I'm like, I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm going to try it on with you. And we were kind of cagey about it. And, um, and he said, I'm not a Christian. Like people would ask him sometimes when he'd come to our, our meetings, I'm not a Christian, 
but I adore Christ. Or I said, I don't think I'm a Christian, but I know I adore Christ. And when we would go through the Gospels, he would tear up. And I'd look over at him and I'd think, I'm not tearing up at the reading of these Gospels, like, you know, at these texts. But this person who doesn't think of themselves as an insider has the willingness or, you know, the permission to have that openness. If, if Jesus was here in physical presence, who would he be commending right now? Me or my friend Rick? That's an interesting uh, thing. Eventually, we were on a walk one time, and um, he, said, he said, Mark, I don't, he said, I, I just want you to know, you've, you've helped me, you've sort of outed me as a follower of Jesus. You know, like, I think it was there, but like, I wasn't aware of it. So we had an, it was, there was an interesting twist to that. I put myself in another outsider situation in the last couple of years. Um, I've had a chance to get to know some folks at a um, at one of the um, uh, one of the mosques in San Francisco, and it's it's been one of these things where I'm definitely the outsider. Sometimes I'll be in a room with 150, 200, uh, mostly Yemenis taxi Uber drivers and stuff, and. I'm often overwhelmed by the kind of hospitality I get in that situation. I was there a couple of weeks ago because um, we were inviting the, the Sheik and a few people to come to a meeting that Menlo Park Church was putting on and uh, to talk about faith in the workplace. And um, I ended up sharing with my friend that, um, that, uh, that my daughter has a, has a, has a chronic illness, a, de a debilitating illness. And he immediately said, well, we're gonna, we're gonna pray for you today. We'll say a prayer for you at the end of the meeting today. And I, I went home and I told my daughter, so there's a couple hundred Yemenis taxi drivers who are pr praying for your healing today. And it's just kind of an interesting, interesting twist, right? Um, where we, we are more, um, we learn something by being in a situation that's where it's not safe space for us, where we're not, we're not like other people. And um, many people would say, that, and, and this echoes what Peter said, you know how good it is to know God when you're with people who are different than you. Not when we're just together by ourselves, but when we're mixing it up with, a, with that posture of humility. So my invitation to you as an experiment this week is to, to take a step to reach past difference. Have an encounter with someone you would normally put on the other side of us and them and ask, what can, what can I learn? How can this person teach me? See how that transforms your interactions. I, I know for me, I'm sort of repeating myself here, if I feel like my only job when I'm with somebody different than me is to let them know what I think and believe, we don't usually get very far or very deep. And so if I can adopt a posture of more curiosity, uh, it, it, it can really help. And finally, the centurion expressed his honest desire. Like, he was embarrassingly transparent. I, I love this slave boy. I, he's meaning, he means a lot to me. And I'm desperate to see him healed because he's so sick. And so I want to suggest to you that what we can learn from the centurion is that God honors honest desire. Sometimes when we gather like this, we feel some pressure to, be put, to have it together to be competent, to seem like life is good. I, um, 
I put on a little cologne this morning before I came and um, a, a, a fresh shirt. I zhuzhed my hair a little bit. I hope you noticed. Um, but when, when we're always presenting, trying to, trying to look like success, trying to look like we've got it together, we can't experience God's healing. And so um, we're helped when we can say, God, here is what I really need. Um, um, here's what I really need or here's what I really want. So one challenge I have for you to try this week is to every morning practice something called open hands where you put your hands out and, and you say, um, with one, you hold one hand up and say, here's what I'm grateful to have received today. But with, with the other hand, you say, God, here's what I want. Here's what I long for. Here's what I need. I think some of us hesitate to say that because we want to wait to want something until it's the right thing. But with that, with that centurion, he, he just went for it. He was just like, this, I, I desperately want to see this guy, this guy healed. And don't comment on the fact that he's, he's my slave, okay? Or, or that he's my property. And maybe if we have the courage to say, here's what I really desire, that's the place from which our creator can refine our desires. But the first step is to simply come as we are and say, this is what I long for. Okay, um, I, want, I want to invite you to try one other thing um, this morning as we head towards communion. What if the centurion is our model for, for today of engaging with our creator and one another? Um, that was a public act of him coming to say, I want my servant to be healed. And so I'm going to invite you to do something for just a moment. Just stand up for a second. And I want to invite you for just a moment or two to turn towards someone near you and say, here is something that I'm really longing for right now. And just express that. And if you're comfortable with it, let that expression of that also be a prayer. And we'll give you a minute or two of this. I know this is, this is going to take, it's a little, it's a, it's a bigger step towards authenticity or transparency. But take a step to turn to someone and to say what, to give, respond to this question. What, what do you really want? What do you really long for in your life right now? Hey, th thanks for taking a chance to do an experiment in that kind of vulnerability that we see in the centurion. You can go ahead and take a seat for just a mo another moment. I think what empowers us to be really real and what it empowers us to get beyond us and them is knowing who we really are and that we are deeply beloved. And so today we're going to come to the table which is um, a really powerful reminder to us of, of who we are and how deeply we've, we, we are cared for. Thanks, Mark. Uh, I want to invite the band uh, to come on up, and um, we're going to move into communion. And this morning, as you come and take a piece of bread and dip it in this cup, uh, what would it look like for you to uh, come with those open hands and in your own heart, uh, voice something you're grateful for. Uh, obviously, the Eucharist means good gift. 
it's a gift. Uh, we're, we're grateful for the gift of Jesus, his life, his death, and the power of his resurrection. Um, and then uh, come with that other open hand and that thought of uh, what do you long for? What do you desire? Uh, uh, Jesus said, I won't uh, drink the cup again until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Uh, our deepest hopes and deepest longings are found in Christ and, and the hope of his return and, and the world being made right again. What, what is something in your own life that you long to see made right and that you long to uh, see come to fruition? So let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this good gift, this reminder that your body was given for us and your blood was shed for us. God, I pray that you will remind us often this week of ways we can long to live in unity and with curiosity uh, rather than being right, rather than dichotomizing between us and them. God, give us grateful hearts, give us hearts of longing and desire. And may our ultimate hope in you grow more and more. It's in the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen.